Bitcoin fixes the money, the Beef Initiative fixes the food and nutrition. Step into some new awareness that incorporates some much needed food intelligence into your life. This is Texas Slim with Texas Slim's vision. Hey guys, Texas Slim here. It's Monday. It's around 11 o'clock Central Time. We're back with Texas Slim's vision. And we're going to be moving forward today with a very good podcast guest. And it's, uh, I'll tell you in a minute. But what I want to tell you first is that we are podcasting 2.0. We can stream sats now. We can stack sats. We can boost. We can all kind of decentralize our communications. Thanks to Adam Curry. Thanks to Mr. Robot for getting it set up and working with Adam Curry. For you guys out there, if you stream sats, uh, hey, I'll mention you online. Let's get started from this. Last week is we've got uh, at Nomad Joe. Love me some beef. Thanks, man. Uh, then we've got uh, Dick Tehoshi. <laughs> Great show. We've got Joel W. Um, previous boost about bison. We're just mentioning it. Then I hear Bitcoin and bison at the end. Well, guess what? Uh, we've got some bison coming into the story of the Beef Initiative, and I had some pretty good uh, developments this past weekend. At Joel again, hey, thanks again, guys. We've got some sats coming in. We've got a lot of people starting to pay attention to podcasting 2, 2.0. The only ad you'll ever hear from Texas Slim's Vision is basically out of my mouth and uh, what we've recorded for the people that we are in partnership with. So uh, keep it going. Texas Slim's Vision is crowdsourced. It's open source. So uh, appreciate it. You guys share the wealth. Today we've got, of course, Mike Hobart, the Mike Hobart. Uh, you, a, lot of, a lot of you guys know him on Twitter. Um, he does a lot of research and analysis. We've known each other for a long time, uh, over a year now. We've been uh, kind of corresponding back and forth through our uh, evolution into the, our, our expertise. Mike, how are you doing today? What's up, Slim? Dude, this is exciting because like, uh, this is actually going a lot smoother than any of the other recordings we've done. So. I know we've we've come a long way and we were just talking offline and, uh, you know, we have to be transparent here how much it sucked in the beginning recording <laughs> podcast. And of course, we got Logan, our producer, uh, Logan Troy. He's in Austin. He's been with us from, you know, day one uh, from getting Internet connections, from microphones to everything. It's whenever you start off a podcast, you just do it. You know, you don't try to yeah. be a perfectionist and you learn. And if you're OK with that, if you're not too thin skinned, you just kind of plow through and it is it's iteration and iteration we recorded last monday just to be transparent again and what we do recorded about it was supposed to be about an hour and we were on off and on for like two and a half hours i believe yeah Yeah, it was uh i mean it's like when it comes like this is where like like going through the army is good for me is embracing the suck (laughs) because it was still fun throughout it's just the suck in the middle is what Suck. Oh, it was painful, man. You know, I stand up and do podcasts now. I'll talk better when I'm standing up. And by the time of that, man, I was I was kind of worn out. And it was Monday. I was like, man, is this how the week's going to be? But then I got to editing the video, and it was just crap. So uh, and I'm going to have to say Squadcast sucked for us. And I'm just going to say that because it's true. And uh, they, they, they haven't been good to us as far as podcasting. We tried. We tried for about six months, but now we're using a different uh, different platform. But anyways, let's try this again. Um, how was your weekend? Oh, my weekend was awesome. The weather here in Iowa was rare. Like, here in Iowa during the summer, the summers are usually brutally humid and hot. 
Yeah. So, uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't bad. So I'm, I'm like the last couple of years, considering what's been going on in the world, like I've been <laughs> taking every blessing I can get and trying to get the most out of it. So like it was, it was, it was beautiful here. So my, my weekend was awesome. I just spent time reading and then talking with people with a bunch of the plebes on spaces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you do a good job on there, and you you know you've, you've you. gotten to where uh, you're kind of well known now, and you know it's it's definitely uh, deserved. I mean, it's hard to do what you do. I mean, you work full time now. Uh, let's let everybody know what you're doing these days, because in the beginning you were doing something different. Now you've evolved into something. It's kind of turning into a good package and in kind of a good path forward for you. No, but, uh, kind of a good package, I would have to say, is uh, putting it mildly. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm the communications and marketing manager for Great American Mining, and those guys are – I've only – I've been in the position for a couple months now, basically since the uh, Miami Bitcoin conference, um, and it's it's been awesome. So I, I, I there's, there's not a single thing I could complain about. Um, so do you guys see – there's a chance uh, if you see a tweet from the GAM account, it might be me. It's probably me, <laughs> especially if it's talking about, especially if it's talking about American uh, patriotism and stuff like that. Right. Well, uh, you know, whenever we went to uh, Miami, I mean, I wasn't going to go to Miami, and I got asked to speak there at a, you know, a site at the at the Plan B with uh, Katie and uh, Jessica. And then you said, hey, man, I've got an Airbnb. You just want to crash here. And so it really helped out. Once again, man, it was value for value. Everybody just kind of helps everybody out in this world. And that's what's what that's what's so interesting. I was having a thought the other day. I was like, man, my whole life, I've met a lot of people. I've had a lot of great friends, a lot of acquaintances. But the last two years, the amount of quality of people that I've met is I can't explain it enough. And it's all because of this. <laughs> same desire and yearning to learn more about Bitcoin and to really start learning and how to facilitate a decentralized kind of mindset and a decentralized life to where, you know, we feel more empowered as, as far as individuals. So yeah. I, I want to say thank you for, you know, lodging me in uh, Miami. That was, <laughs> that was a good time. We had some great conversations. Oh and, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we kind of brainstormed a little bit and kind of strategized and, you know, here we are today. And you know, a lot of the stuff that you and I have been talking about the last year, you know, here we are. And, you know, this time last year I was on harvest up in North Dakota and I was yep. seeing things that I knew was going to come fruition this year and here we are you sent out a tweet this morning and it was about a big old dust storm you know and a lot of people yeah. don't understand the causes of those and where we are and being in the agricultural space that i am ranching space you know my ancestors those dust storms are just not something that just happens it, it is it is a product yeah. of uh, environment a product of weather a product of man-made they're man-made disasters in so many ways so let's talk about, you know, why did you choose to send out that tweet today? And you kind of go into your story about it because you're from the Midwest. You're from, you know, the, the bread basket. So let's, yeah. let's educate a little bit and kind of we'll go down that rabbit hole of weather, climate, agriculture, and what we're both doing together. Well, so the, the cool part about all this is that, um, like, before, before I got into Bitcoin and before I even, like, started having conversations with you, Slim, uh, I was pretty ignorant to how – how deep problems went in the agricultural industry. Um, Cause I was, I was coming from the side of like, kind of like basically oil and gas 
And then also from my exercise science background, because like before I even got started uh, at, with GAM or in the Bitcoin space, I got my degree for exercise science. And so I was approaching all the health problems and everything from just that angle of like, because the, the U.S. population is what, like 40% overweight at a minimum or something like that. And so like you and I got ta- got to talking together about just how poor the American diet is and how poor quality all the food is and everything. But then you were the one that turned me on to the problem with fertilizers and pesticides and herbicides and how radically inefficient and unhealthy it is just for the environment itself. Um, so I have to, I have to credit you to that. Uh, and then that's where I really started going down the rabbit hole of trying to understand soil health and everything. And that goes, that gets into, um, some really cool stuff when, when I got into the the research after you kind of tripped my trigger on that one, because, uh, the easy, the easy comparison is to go back straight to the great depression and look at the dust bowl back then. But then, so to, just to make just for simplicity's sake, the re, like the one of the biggest reasons that the Dust Bowl kicked off was because because of the the Great Depression and the economic and macroeconomic environment, farmers were getting driven basically to extremes for monocropping to try and just jack up the yield so they could get you know food out to like and try and like hamper the the costs and the inflation. But the problem is, is that when you do that for too long with monocropping it radically, it just siphons all the health and the nutrients out of the soil. And when you do that, then you don't have the mycorrhizal environment underneath the surface of the soil that's helping keep like all the density. Um, It's helping retain all the water. It's supporting all the root networks for the plants and uh, vegetation and foliage and everything, regardless of whether it's the crops or not. And when that happens, then the soil just, it goes from soil to dirt essentially at that point, right? Because there's, when there's when you don't have any of the nutrient density value or the water density value to the soil, soil is no longer what soil is. It's just dirt. And then dirt is what gets dried up and blown around. And then that's how you get that's when you get to the dust storms and everything. And the, the crazy part in my in the research that I did for like the articles for Bitcoin magazine and just for my own nosiness um, was that this was a problem that goes all the way back to the Roman Empire. Like philosophers of that time frame i can't remember if it, i'm i'm awful with with time frames with individuals but it was it was either uh aristotle or uh or socrates or one of those one of the big thinkers yeah. that identified that the roman empire was doing that was precisely doing that they were pushing the farmers to farm too hard too fast they destroyed the soil quality and the health to the point of where they couldn't keep up with the demands of the empire and then when that happens because like a lot of most of the not most, but a lot of people understand that the Roman Empire, one of the reasons it collapsed was, you know, bread and circuses, like keeping people like distracted and, and fat. But when you run out of the capability to give them free bread, which is what the Roman Empire was doing, everybody starts to get hungry. Everybody starts to get mad. And then things go haywire pretty quickly. And then like because yeah. like you, you start you, you kind of like place like where we are now, like here, right? And then the Great Depression here and then the Roman Empire here. And like the other, the, the last two are not like not good outcomes, right? And then you look at where we are now and like there's there's a lot of parallels that don't don't scream excitement. That I mean, that's how I'll put it. 
Well, they don't scream excitement. The similarities are, you know, what people don't understand, you know, everybody does not realize that history, you know, might not repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. And we always think that we have this sense of entitlement that we're not going to have to battle the type of suffering and the type of outcomes that had happened before <laughs> us. And But what we, we need to real I always tell people, I said, man, this is just new to you. I mean, if you know history, you can see and re you can reflect and you re can get some base knowledge here and kind of see what we're up against, kind of see what other civilizations had to go through. And the Roman empires, of course, is a good one because it was, you know, the empire of, the, of, of time that we look at as far as comparing to the United States. Going back to that, I knew in the beginning that I had to start with the sources of the seed of the issue, you know, with my ancestors going through the Great Depression, going through the Dust Bowl. The Dust Bowl is something that we need to look at. And everybody, if you're not familiar with it, it was in the 1930s. It led up to basically the Great Depression. It led up into, um, you know, World War II. And we went to the war to, you know, we, our economy boomed after war. And that's what we've been doing ever since. Anytime we got any problem with the economy, let's go to war, right? You know, and yeah. we won't even go down that, that rabbit hole. But, you know, w going back to the soil and the dirt, a lot of people don't even know that, you know, they just call it dirt. They don't even know what soil is. But yeah. during, the, uh, during the, um, the Dust Bowl, they did. They tilled up way too much of the Midwest. And, you know, my grandfather was a little over 100 miles from the epicenter of the Dust Bowl. And what they did is they destroyed the soil so much, we went through a big 10-year drought. And especially in Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, you know, the Midwest was very hard hit. It did not rain. And then the winds actually blow very strong through West Texas and those parts of Oklahoma. So you get this perfect storm that creates these massive walls of dirt. And it, it takes the topsoil and it puts it somewhere else. And, you know, it's a migration of our, of our agriculture that happened. And you, that's when the United States Agricultural Department actually grew during that time and they had to come in and we started going down a path that has led us here within the USDA, within US agriculture, within so many things when it comes to food that there are some similarities that people need to start paying attention to. And if you understand agriculture where it is, you know, a lot of people are, are, are very aware that we only have basically 40 harvests left. And basically what that means is there's two harvests a year. We got 20, we got uh, basically 20 years of good soil, maybe, maybe good soil. But, you know, since 1971, our soil has gone to crap and we need to look at it. And a lot of people are starting to pay attention to soil health. What they're not paying attention to is that this global food industrial shift that we're going through right now is to cover up some lies and some deceptions that has happened since 1971. And we started living and breathing and eating based on the permission of chemical companies. And, yeah. you know, it's not a judgment against anybody that's in the business. I came from agriculture. A lot of my best friends came from agriculture. We use, pe they use pesticides, herbicides. It's just part of the system. Well, that system has been exposed and there's people starting to reach out about it. So we're tying it into health and that's where you came from. So let's get into the health side of things because I think a lot of people okay. are really starting to reflect on that. Yeah. Um, so, well... So there's a lot of problems with health, especially in American health. Um, one of the 
the biggest one, which will be the easiest one that I can touch on would be just like, nobody's active anymore. Um, like particularly going back to the great depression or like the forties, even, um, most of the labor market was generally pretty laborious. Um, people were moving in the, in the slightest sense. Like nowadays we're stuck at computers and desks and everything. And like, we're sitting right now talking, we didn't have, like, I didn't have to get up and drive or take an airport to go, to go see it in person. Um, and then like just on this, on the same thread, there's just less participation in like the American education system, which is like, as far as sports goes, which is like, we don't need to get into that rabbit hole. Cause that's another problem with <laughs> along the same like tangent as war in America. Um, but so with regards to health, the one of the biggest problems, which is what you and I started going off on a tangent was, was the, the American diet. Um, you can talk about fast food. You can talk, mostly you want to talk about processed foods, which is just about damn near everything. Um, and you can talk about processed foods in the sense of you're, we're providing what, what we call foods. It really just means that they're te technically edible. I wouldn't necessarily label them as food anymore with what I understand about them. It's really more just like a, an industrialized, um, artificial amalgamation of nutrients in a form that tastes good doesn't necessarily mean it's food because there's a lot of um there's a lot of compounds that are accumulating in our bodies that are causing all sorts of inflammation that is not good um because in the body inflammation is largely actually a pretty natural and healthy process whether it's getting a, like a viral infection the body will kick off inflation inflammation to you know try and burn out literally the the virus or slow down it's like it's um it's 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 uh reproduction rate to try and like squelch it out of the body and then there's like when you're working out like for everybody that you know that's like me that actually likes to work out like inflammation is a natural process that helps the body adapt and grow muscle but when you're getting the inflammation from the diet it's something entirely different um and then we can also to t also tie it into the agricultural and the farming um there's also the fact that because our soil health is so poor, what real foods we do have, they're not as nutrient dense, especially the ones that are, that have been significantly GMO'd like corn or spinach or apples, <laughs> basically everything that's in the grocery store. Like everything yeah. is so much larger than it naturally would have been. Um, to the point. So like, if you th like the way I like to describe it is if even if you were keeping the nutrient density of the soil equal, but then you were selectively breeding, which is basically GMOing, selectively breeding these crops to grow bigger, but the nutrient base isn't growing at like a, a, a commiserate rate, then when you have the size of the fruit going up and nutrient density staying the same, then the nutrient density of what you're growing is going to go down because the, the actual mass of the plant or the fruit or the vegetable or whatever you want to talk about is increasing, but the amount of nutrients within it are either equal or less. That's what, I don't think a lot of people are thinking about that. No, they're not. And to that point, you know, I, I saw something and it's like, it takes six pounds of spinach to get, uh, you know, the, the nutrient value of one pound of spinach uh, from our past. And you talk about Jesus. GMO, GMOing and everything. Well, now, you know, they've, they've, 
last year I talked a lot about, hey, look at the labeling laws, look at all the things that are changing and how they're really, you know, manipulating just the language around food. And GMO is going bye-bye. And everybody's like, oh, GMO's gone bye-bye. No, it's now called bioengineering. And bioengineering <laughs> is on the packages now, and it's a little barcode, and they don't have to say what bioengineering is. You have to scan it with your phone, and like you're, you know, exchanging Bitcoin now. And uh, basically, you go to a terms and services agreement, and it tells you everything that is bioengineered and what it means. And so, you know, well, then they can just, track your, then they can track your phone act activity and everything too. There you go. Here we go. So there's so many things that are going on with food. They're digitizing food in such a way that people are – nobody would know anyways. you got to spend a lot of time. And, but they're yeah. digitizing our food in certain ways. They're GMOing, bioengineering it in a way to where it is um, – you know, we're overfed and we're nutritionally starved. And and that's in yeah. and humans have never looked like this before. We've never suffered this type of metabolical failure. And and if if people are not aware that we are going through a bankruptcy of our metabolical health, well it doesn't take long to look. And you know, we, we talk about it all the time. Look at the pictures before nineteen seventy, now look at the pictures. You see it more and more on Twitter. But yep. what we really need to reflect on is a nation of a health is is basically the biggest epidemic that we have going on right now and they're exactly. about to ramp it up some more because the lack of true food intelligence in our consumption models and, yeah. and and that's from understanding where food comes from understanding basically what vitamins and minerals are and where they come from they come from the soil and that's what people do not understand you can't take supplements and be the same optimal health as as, as much as somebody that actually has very dense, healthy soil, and basically eats that whole food from that soil. Yeah, and, 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 and real, real quick, real quick on, the, on that tangent, um, because I, I mentioned processed foods, but my brain is still foggy because I was I was helping my sister move before this, so like my brain's all, all over the place no right worries. now. No worries. But with the processed food stuff, um, what people don't give enough credit to or are ignorant to or just don't want to think about is that for the body to effectively use compounds in food whether it's healthy or not um they have to be like the the best resources are going to be bioavailable which means that they're occurring in a chemical structure that occurs naturally which means that our bodies like that have evolved over however many hundreds of thousands of years have like over that time period over like evolution and everything and just exposure and adaptability, which is what our bodies are designed for over that time period, our bodies through evolution, through our DNA and all this other stuff through all this iteration, they've, they've specialized in breaking down these specific compounds that occur in nature, just because we're consistently exposed to them. And what happens with the process stuff is that, for example, okay, so like, for example, sugar, like these fake sugars that are everywhere that are like, everybody's like, oh, it's a diet soda, it's healthy, it's not real sugar. It's like, no, that's actually worse than getting just a bunch of real sugar. The reason is, is that, so with these fake sugars, they're chemically, they're, the chemical structure is very, very similar to a sugar, um, like fructose or something, but it's not exact. And because it's not exact, the body doesn't know what to do with it because enzymes are like enzymes are structured like puzzle pieces, like they like the, the casing of a puzzle piece. Like it has to be the precise fit 
for that enzyme to break it down. And the problem is, is that, so when you, for example, with these, again, going off the sugar example, if you, when you take in these fake sugars, like aspartame or whatever, like all the other names are, when you take in these fake sugars that aren't real legitimate sugar, the body will react like they are because like, like the, the structure is similar enough. It'll like, it'll kick off the responses. Like there's normal sugar. Like, so, which means the pancreas is going to pump out insulin, but when that happens, the insulin gets to this fake sugar and it sits there and it like, it looks at it. And it's like, uh, you're not what I am here for. Like I'm supposed to be taking out this other guy. So it just moves on. And so you get the exposure to the insulin, right? But then the sugar doesn't go away. So the, so the fake sugar stays in your bloodstream or your system. And then the insulin also stays in your system, just waiting to get used up which is how it speeds up the exposure. Like it speeds up the development of type two diabetes, kicks off all these other metabolic syndrome problems. And then you start to get inflammation, which also can kick off. Cause like one thing that cancer specifically feeds off of is sugar. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're starting to see just, just like up into the right. Like, well, used to be like the Bitcoin price, just up into the right. Like it's just, it's just not stopping within the American um, population. And I, from the pictures that I've been seeing is it's spreading to Britain and some of Europe now too. Yeah. You can go back to 1971 and look at that chart with the debasement of the dollar and the debasement of our health. And you can look at diabetes, you know, you can look at heart disease, you can look at cancer, you know, there's a, there's a hockey stick there that just follows, you know, the same debasement, you know, flip the debasement goes down, of course, but (laughs) you can flip it and you can see the correlation for sure. And, you know, that was what, that was the harvest of deception article is like, Hey, this is what's really happened. And this is how it's happened. And, you know, moving forward, back then, what happened is that they debased the United States dollar, went off the gold standard. Okay, within food, what they had to do was they had to create some fake value of our food supply. And that's whenever you started coming out with the fake seed oils, the, the fake sugars, you know, fake commodities that they make a lot of money with that they can interject into, you know, certain food products, Canola oil, high fructose corn syrup. Those are two major ones. Soybeans. You know, there's just so many commodities now that they put into our food supply back then, and they've only grown throughout the decades. Okay, today Eric Snowden put out something. I think it was today, but he was talking about everybody's like, yeah, he's like, no, everybody's going to, you know, and I've been saying this for over a year, and everybody's like, I'm not going to eat that fake burger. I'm not going to eat that fake steak. I say, you're missing the point. That fake burger and fake steak is the distraction. What they're going to do is they're going to basically create many new fake proteins. And that's what they're doing. And they're going to make them in the name of climate change and that you're going to save the planet because the carbon, you know, the cow is now a carbon hazard. But what they do within our food supply, and you say highly processed food, well, they get these new fake commodities and they make them taste good and they interject them. So everybody out there still eating chicken tendies and pizza pockets. Well, they're going to be able to put, you know, these new bugs and these new pea proteins in these fake commodities, these fake commodities that are being driven by the war on meat. And people won't even know that they're eating it and they won't care because, once again, they think it tastes good. And you brought that up in the beginning. 
Well, I want to point out to somebody, if everybody wants to know why you think things taste good, look up Royal DSM, and guess where they're out of? They're out of the Netherlands. They made $9 billion in revenue during COVID because they make things taste good, and they pride mm. themselves on being a food science corporation, global food science corporation. Every morning, whenever you're using something that is not whole food, they've got something to do with that, designing that taste. And they've been uh, buying up new country uh, companies right now. They're out of the Netherlands, like I said. Adam Curry's the one that told me about them, you know, because that's where he comes from. He lived over there. But if you look at them and really people that want to be their own research and an uh, analyst, and everybody should start doing what you and I do when it comes to food, is dive deep into that co company. And you want to see something that's fascinating is whenever you can make your brain and your taste buds basically signal something that makes you yearn for it, and it's basically nothing more than it's been designed in a chemical lab, then you should be scared because they're getting very good at it. And yeah. that's it doesn't matter. And they know that people don't care what's in the food supply. They know that people will eat anything as long as they can shape it. The amount of fillers that they put into our food now, you know, it doesn't matter what it says on the package anymore. Those days are gone. The less yep. marketing and advertising and words on the package of food that you can eat, you're, the, you're being the smart consumer these days. Oh, it's like it's it's so hard to get people to understand or accept that just because the, the label or the packaging says organic yeah, doesn't mean that it's real. No, like I I spent the last couple of years like just fight like claw, fighting like tooth and nail, just like trying to claw any little bit of like ground I can gain on like my friends and family with trying to get them to understand it's like just because it says organic does not mean it's good for you. Like. People like everybody has to get over this, this preconception or predisposition or belief that because some, like some corporation or company or institution, like including governments, just because they say something doesn't mean they're doing it in your best interest. Like clearly, like, have you guys not been paying attention for the last couple of years? Like they're like the decision-making going on is, is not, for everybody's benefit it's for the the people that are at the top of the the decision tree like it's for their benefits not for your guys's because if if this was if like if health was was like our government's main concern whether you're talking about united states or europe or abroad if health was the real concern they would have been pushing i'm not talking i'm not trying to get conspiratorial or anything but for the last 40 years Every government, every municipality, and every company across the world should have been pushing everybody to work out, like specifically to grow muscle, grow muscle, eat good food, stop drinking as much alcohol. Like those are the big ones. But you you won't catch anybody saying that. Anybody. No. And then you and then you wonder why the American healthcare situation is like catastrophic. Like it's weighed down with alcoholism, cancer, metabolic syndromes, oh, well, and, uh, and mental health issues, which feed off of all the others. Well, and, and I've said this many times, and I'm going to start bringing this into mind signal and narrative as far as the mental health is concerned, and mental health addiction, and everything starts with basically poor nutrition as children. 
That's what people don't yep. understand. Many years ago, they asked Eric Clapton because he was a recovering alcoholic, and I think it was 60 Minutes. I mean, it's been decades ago, and they said, what, was, what started your addiction? And he goes, sugar. You know, I got addicted to sugar as a kid, and that led into alcoholism, that led into heroin, all that kind of stuff, and it's true. My father counseled for 25 years, and he counseled women, and basically one thing that he saw that was prevalent was uh, low self-image, uh, low nutrition, and, and mm-hmm. people don't understand that addiction Right now, you look at food, food is a drug. They've turned it, they basically engineered food into being a drug because, you yep. know, sugar is the biggest, most addictive drug in the world. And, and, and people salt. just really don't, and salt. And people do not realize why and where they should be, be looking if that's the truth. Why is it so readily available? Why, if it is so bad, then why, why is it in every convenience store? Why is it in everything that I eat? If, it, if it's so bad for me, and it's that cognitive dissonance when it comes around, you know, when it, it pertains to food. And well, you want, you want to know why it's everywhere. Like to answer that question is because it's sure. cheap. It's cheap to yeah, make. It's cheap to make and it's addictive. So they know you'll come back for it. That's, that's literally the most, like people, people, I, and again, I've talked about this in, ad nauseum with people that I've like chatted with on spaces and everything, but human beings are explicitly skilled at overcomplicating things. Like the the most simple solution (laughs) is usually the proper solution. And the solution to this, like this, one of these problems is the fact that it's like sugar and these processed foods, they're, they're easy and cheap to make for these companies. That's why they push it everywhere. That's why that's, that's, that's all you need to know. That's well, because that's the reason. <laughs> and let's put it. And why is that? Well, we look at food and we, we commoditize food. We subsidize food. You know, we make it to where we can make it cheap and we can make it to where there can be disasters and crops and people are going to still get paid to make, you know, to grow these crops. And, and basically, you know, people don't understand what yield means when it comes to crop. And whenever we went, let's get yeah. into fructose. Whenever we switched into high fructose, you looked at the type of corn that we actually raised and that we actually harvested in the United States and how much it has changed throughout the years from GMO going into, you know, corn being used for ethanol and high fructose corn syrup. And, and, and Which ethanol is bad for engines to begin with. Of course. I mean, it's, once again, it's another <laughs> subsidy, basically, that happened. And yeah. it, it just it, it, it takes a lot of time to understand it. But you don't have to get into analysis paralysis when it comes to food. You got to just keep it simple. It's so simple, yeah. it's confusing to most. You know, they complicate <laughs> it, just like you say. And that's, you know, that, that was why I created the Beef Initiative. It's about dense animal protein that comes from good soil that's got dense nutrients and minerals and use the cow as a land tool and as a consumption model to basically be a vertical integration back into human health and that's what we need right now in this nation and across the world And, and if people can just accept that and it's like there's no idealistic thing going on here this is not trying to push one industry over an another industry this is not about trying to judge vegans vegetarians and carnivores this is about pure food and basically feeding your family the best food that you can eat so you can be the best person you can it is so simple it's complicated and people that get in these arguments and they get in analysis paralysis you're working against yourself 
and you're playing a game that I'm never going to play because I know exactly how I feel, how I live, how I was raised, and I know what the truth is when it comes to my consumption model. And if people can just accept that, acceptance is the key right now. It's not a judgment. There's people going from, you know, right now we had somebody in the chat room, you know, 400-pound uncle basically from diabetes, and, you know, he can't give up his sugar. And that's yep. just a t typical thing. And being addicted to something, you look at an alcoholic that tries to detox off of alcohol, it's dangerous. Well, alcohol is nothing but sugar, right? So you look at the consumption of sugar in this in the United States, and I heard that it's something like we used to have like three pounds of sugar that we averaged about consuming. Now it's up to, uh, I think, 119, 129 pounds of sugar is the average. And then you look about what happens with that consumption. Well, you look at diabetes, okay? One out of two Americans are now diabetic or going towards diabetes. Okay. Jesus. Now let's look what is what does it take to supply insulin for a diabetic? Nine hundred dollars a month per and everybody in the world that needs it, that requests it, gets insulin because it's subsidized by the United States government from a pharmaceutical company. So you look at And you the, gotta keep it refrigerated too. You got to keep it refrigerated. You got to keep that wheel going. And, you know, I went into a health clinic about three or four months ago, and I'd, I'd, been, uh, I'd been working with them a little bit in the community. And I went in and I saw everything because they treat a lot of diabetes and they treat a lot of the minorities and part of the poor community. And they had the, the chart for diabetes and what you, you know, you really need to do. Not one place, and this is a medical facility, not one place did it say decrease your intake of carbohydrates. Of course and not. People, and people don't even know what carbohydrates are and what truly every carbohydrate that they need to stay away from. And even saying that, how they build carbohydrates now to where you think it's healthy, going back to your grass or your, uh, your organic, you know, it doesn't matter what it says on the package anymore. Organic doesn't matter anymore. Grass-fed beef doesn't matter anymore. And unless you know who's producing your food, that's where you need to start. Find somebody who <laughs> produces your food. Or free-range chickens. I think it's like, what, like a four-by-four, four, like, pen is enough to, to count? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, free-range eggs. No. You know, all the, once again, all that idealistic things that they play on and, you know, no sugar added to your ice cream, no sugar added to your, your kid's juice. You know, there's so many things that, that people just don't, they don't understand to circumvent around. So, well, we've identified a lot of problems, and we, we know what's going on on the macro level. Um, let's get back into kind of what you've been seeing on a macro level, you know, the Netherlands, Sri Lanka, you know, the debasement of uh, monetary value and how all of this is happening with money. Well, it's all happening with food and agriculture, too. They're symbiotic. Yeah, well, so like the, the, the wild part, the one of the things that's like pushing, one of the biggest things is pushing all the monetary debasement across the world is really the, the energy situation. Right. Because for the last, what, 40 years, something like that, that um, everybody has been trying to push away from using hydrocarbons, oil, oil and gas specifically, um, which is hilarious if you think about it. Because so at least as far as like America is concerned, like our position of dominance was established strictly because of oil, like particularly in World War II, because like it, it wasn't it wasn't just the the 
the American work ethic and the American war machine was turned on. It was it was capable of being turned on a a by our oil resources, but b I, and I might I might be incorrect here. So somebody can in the chat or somebody later can correct me uh, at a different time. But if my memory serves me correctly, um, on D Day when we had like the biggest inv- land invasion in history go down. At the same time, we also connected a, I believe it was a, um, an oceanic pipeline for oil to Great Britain to help support like the war effort, which I didn't know about. Like that blew my mind. I did not know that. That, that makes D-Day way more important than just the amount of lives lost and cost in order to get where we did. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's going on across the world that everybody's been watching is like while oil has been spiking in price and natural gas has been spiking in price – the rest of these countries that have to import their energy from the other from the resource providers like America, Mexico, Canada, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, I think Iran exports, I can't remember. Um, but like all these countries, like they're capable of producing, but there's obviously more demand than supply, so price goes up. And then you have these countries like Sri Lanka that imports their energy. They had to print more money in order to get it. Well, it ended up like spiraling out of control and like now their people are pushing back. And then you like, so if you look back at at Europe, like the farmers in the Netherlands, Poland, Italy, Germany, uh, I think that's the major ones. There's probably more by now. I haven't been watching over the weekend, but these guys are pushing back for the same reason that farmers in the U.S. are starting to push back. Because the cost of fertilizers, pesticides, and herbicides that we talked about that they can't, like, because they're monocropping, industrialized monocropping, they can't, like, produce a yield without it because their soil health is so degraded. So, like, and oil is a major, major input for all of those, for fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides. And that's not touching on the diesel fuel that they have to use for the equipment. Or the, uh, the the diesel exhaust fluid, which, I mean, I think that's more of an American thing than anything. But all of, these imp- all of these inputs are, like, extremely important, and they're becoming extremely expensive now. So, like, it's pushing a lot of farmers literally to the, the breaking point, and they're starting to push – they're starting to uprise. And it's like, hey, guys, like, we need more oil. Like, we can't do this. Like, you can want all the food – like, you can desire all the food you want. But if we're not capable of producing it, it doesn't matter. And you like you look at the Netherlands specifically, and I believe like the government policy is working on just seizing the land from the farmers instead of, you know, like paying attention and doing the smart thing. They would rather just take the land from the farmers, continue to degrade the soil and then literally follow in the footsteps of the Roman Empire and not learn a damn thing. No, that's that's been the plan from day one with the Netherlands. And, you know, we look at what the farmers are fighting back. They're protesting. They're, you know, they're doing their blockades. They're doing everything they can. And what people need to understand that this is already played out in the people that are seizing this land. They're going to they're going to pay them off. They're going to seize their land. That land's already spoken for. And, and, it, and once again, this is a 10 year plan for basically, uh, you know, the. The regulatory capture of that land is going on globally, and right now people are paying attention to Sri Lanka and Netherlands. But within, um, you know, within the Netherlands, and this is going to be interesting, 
how this truly does transpire because you brought up some a simple fact about diesel you know they're using their big machinery right now to do their protests and you know they're yeah. basically leveraging everything every tool that they have to protest against a machine that's already the contracts are signed the governments are lined up they have their police forces this is happening and people don't understand that the reason they're going to be successful one of the major reasons is because our consumer demand is basically pointed directly at these corporations that are actually taking the land and the animal out of our food production and putting it into the labs hence fake meat hence vegetables that they can grow with indoors they think since they they've destroyed the soil in the ways that they have that they can now create a whole global food industrial shift that takes the food out the seed out of the soil and puts it into the lab they're, they're this is not something new. They've been working on this for decades. Of course, the major consolidation of these food corporations happened in 2017 and 18. And it's, it's basically, you look at that same time frame, all the chemicals, all the pharmaceutical companies, and all the food corporations, there was massive consolidation. And this is where we are right now. I hope for the best for the Netherlands. But if you look at master plans in the Netherlands, that land is already spoken for, and they're going to move forward. So we'll see what happens. Everybody keep on support, and everybody keep this awareness going on. But do not be surprised whenever you start seeing these farmers having to sell out. And these farmers have been on that land for hundreds of years, way yeah. back when, way before America was even America. So this is a major reallocation of assets that's going on globally and let's focus back on the united states of america major asset reallocation is happening in the united states of america nobody's paying attention to it they look at the netherlands they look at sri lanka but you look at farming and ranching and ranching alone the last decade we've lost 40 percent of our ranching access we've lost ranchers we've lost the land and basically what it is it's a major asset reallocation how's that done well you got billionaires bill gates you got shell companies buying land got china buying hundreds of thousands china's already bought two hundred thousand uh acres of farmland in the united states everybody looks at at bill gates he's got two hundred fifty thousand now round about close to it and everybody doesn't understand why is this happening well they own the minerals they own the the mineral rights they own everything that it is that produces food it's just not the land itself but it's also the mineral rights and the water rights and so how much how, how much of the available farmland is that do you know man i haven't broken four hundred fifty thousand acres yeah that, that's right at two hundred thousand for china yeah it's about four hundred fifty thousand acres i don't know and we have to make that clear it's farmland it's just not the land in the united states but it's actually farmable land and so we'll have to good, go into that and kind of see if there's a good metric that we can look at to be able to do a compare contrast on this. Yeah. And so as we move forward, though, you know, within I'll speak to the ranching industry in the United States, you know, being the war on meat right now, most Americans, we're getting to where more meat is being imported into the United States. And that's what we're consuming. I call it the Brazilian <laughs> cattle drive. Brazil basically exports 2 million tons of beef, and a lot of that comes to America. America exports out of the United States of America 1.4 million tons of beef outside. 
that's damn good beef. We still grow the best beef in the world, but that beef is going to China. It's going to South Korea. It's going to Japan. It's going to the highest bidder. And that's what a lot of people don't understand because they don't understand where their food comes from. And this yeah. is what's when this is when I say, you know, the global food industrial shift processing plants are being redesigned. You know, you look at all the ones that are being firebombed across the world now. They're done it in the Netherlands against Bill Gates's fake meat uh, factories. But what this is is an industrial shift. And you look at an industrial shift, you look at, you know, whenever we, the, uh, the, the, the steel industry, you look at the printing press. Those are industrial shifts that happen globally. Well, now food is the target. Well, you, and you want to you just briefly on the uh importation and exportation of food mm-hmm. uh so take take the overprocessed food that we talked about with the inflammatory response and all that stuff um funny thing is on top of like the the metabolic syndromes and the cancers that we've already talked about i believe if i'm not mistaken some of the health research that's come out in the last couple of years has determined that the autoimmune allergic responses to foods are infl- infl- like inflammatory related. Mix that with how much of this food we are importing coming from different geological locations that are going to have different ecosystems with different pollen. Yeah. And you start to kind of understand why there's such a prevalent rise in food allergies over the last couple of decades. Like people, like when people want to be looking at, like trying to figure out why, why we're having all these health problems, start looking at the food. Like you'll start to understand pretty quickly. Well, and we've come, we've, we've become so complacent, you know, whenever we look at food and that complacency is, is basically been engineered by a, a yearning for convenience. And whenever our grandparents and our ancestors, especially my grandparents that I reflect on, they basically looked at food as a survival mode, right? It was a survival mode. We have to have a good year. We have to think ahead. We have to raise our animals in the right way. We have to treat our soil the correct way. We have to be this so we can have a strong family. We have to feed our family, then we have to feed our community. And that's how we we got to where we are. But mostly in 2022, people don't even know where we came from. And then that's actually a big net positive today for the individual to be able to go back and look at that and say, okay, well, you know, I know the world is kind of screwed up right now, but what I can do, because it is daunting. I mean, you and I could sit here for five hours and we could take small little breaks and we would not even touch the, the, the surface of what's really going on right now. In my brain, I have to turn it off and I say, okay, well, I'm just going to keep it simple. And I'm just going to live like granddad did. And so I'm going to figure it out. And that's what I've done with the beef initiative. And, and it's taking off in a way that, you know, I hope for and people are starting to pay attention. And I think with this signaling that's coming out, what's happening in the Netherlands, what's happening in you know, all of Europe now is protesting, you know, because they're afraid, you know, that their land's going to be taken away. You know, they're going to ESG everything. You know, they're going to use climate change. You know, all the lies that they basically have been able to generate. Well, us as yep. individuals, especially us as Bitcoiners, us in agriculture, us in health and nutrition, we need people to understand it doesn't have to be that daunting. You don't have to participate. Your consumer demand needs to be shifted over to those people that want to feed you, not to the global corporations. And it's a small step 
in that direction. You don't have to do it overnight, but once you can start understanding that my consumer demand as an individual needs to be pointed into a different direction, that's a big step that it leaps and bounds and it, and it works globally as it does locally. Yeah. You know, you, you vote with your money and you vote with your time and you vote with your attention. That's, I mean, it's that simple. And yeah. the, so do we, do we want to get into like the solutions to all this? Is that where yeah. we're going here? Yeah, I mean, that, that's what we need to do because we, uh, we understand there's problems. The world is evil right now. There's a lot of crap going on. A lot of people are living in fear, anxiety, b- bad health. Let's talk about solutions. That's the only thing I want to talk about from here on else, you know, to the 2023 solutions. Because we, yeah. we, you and I could sit here and make money talking about the problems, and a lot of people do that, and that's all they do. They just regurgitate the problems over and over. But whenever I started the Beef Initiative, you know, when I started Food Intelligence, I said, I'm not going to stay in the problem. I'm going to try to do a solution. Don't know if the solution is for everybody, but it works for me and everybody that's coming to the Beef Initiative. So let's talk solutions. Let's talk solutions. So um, I, I, first one is going to be uh, the, well, maybe not the easiest one, but the simplest one and the easiest access anyway is to just get moving. That's yeah. the first one. Like people need to move. Yeah. People need to move and people need to ma- like understand and manage the, the circadian rhythm and sleep cycle. Cause those are, those are massive. Like, and you, we want to talk about mental health and stress and all this other stuff. It's like, if, if you're sleep, if you're not getting good sleep, like really nothing else matters. Like if you're not getting good, consistent sleep, like everything else is going to be a lot harder on you because your body's not, you're not allowing your body that, that downtime to like process all the auto autophagy that needs to go on, like clear your brain out literally like all that junk. But then at the, like, once you get up for the day, like you need to move, like you need to go like get your workout in like 30 minutes of moderate activity is the, the standard like five times a week. Um, I'm, I'm more of the bodybuilding, like CrossFit kind of, uh, power lifting mentality. I would rather see people out there trying to lift heavy weights and struggle because there's, there's a lot of lessons you can get out of that. But the other solution, um, another part of the solution is going to be, uh, what great American mining is doing. So what, like one of these big ones we taught, we, like I touched on briefly, like the, the, one of the baselines for all these problems across the world is energy and access to energy. And one of the one of the biggest problems that you brought up with all the ESG stuff is that ESG and all these EV, all this EV vehicle crap, um, it actually costs more in hydrocarbons, oil. It costs more oil to make these products than it does just to use oil. So a you've been had right there from the get go. Um, but then so like if that's true, then we need more oil, right? And if you, if you guys have read Fossil Future, if you haven't, I recommend you do it. Um, it's a, it gets a little redundant because Alex Epstein really tries to drive home and like clearly lays out the process of like his argument. But oil is the reason we are where we are today because literally everything that you touch, at least in America and like in and, and the developed world, literally everything you touch is made out of oil or it's made with oil. If it's not directly made out of oil, it's made with oil and made with products made from oil. Yeah. So – if we are where we are today because of oil, then rationally thinking would mean that we need to utilize more oil to get better technologies and then get to that next level tier of like civilization, like nuclear, for example. 
nuclear facilities have a lot of computers and a lot of cement. The, both of them need a lot of oil. So we're going to need more oil output, more oil production, because we've also radically in, in like improved the refinement process and how efficiently we're using all these oil products. Um, because for example, one of the easy ones, asphalt on the road is like one of the, the, the crappiest byproducts of using oil and oil refinement. So we just drive on it. I'm not saying that it's a healthy or it's a good thing for the environment, but we just gotten better. Like that's an example of just using every single aspect of oil that we can. Um, and if we need more oil production in order to improve the standards of living across the world, not just fix the problems in the U S and in Europe and in, in Russia and all these other developed countries, like we want to get everybody else on this planet up to like, at least a standard of living that we have in America, like South of whether it's South America, Central America, whether it's Africa, Southeast Asia, India, Middle East, like it doesn't matter. We should all want everybody to like be able to enjoy the same levels of comfort than we do. We need more oil output. We need more oil production. And in order to do that, we need better incentive structures not just the, the pumping of oil and being able to make money off a barrel of oil, like great American mining, like we're like, so one of the, one of the interesting parts of pumping oil is you get associated that you tend to get associated natural gas with it. Um, and most pumping stations don't get enough natural associated natural gas with the process of pumping oil to justify either piping it out or liquefying it. Liquefying it is a very energy intensive process. It requires a lot of refrigeration and a, a, an obscene amount of filtration. Like you have to get every molecule of water out of that. So it doesn't freeze. And a lot of the, the oil producers of these pumping stations, like I said, they don't produce enough to justify it's not economical to do either, because if you're going to pipe it, you obviously have to pay for the piping. And then you also have to have the pumping station or the compressor stations to make sure the pressure is maintained. So you can pipe it however many hundreds of miles you need to. So most of these sites, they decide to just flare it because that's more, that's more environmentally friendly than just letting all the methane and the, the, the um, butane and propane and other associated uh, compounds going with it. It's better than just throwing it up into the atmosphere because while the, the climate change thing has been largely catastrophized, that's still bad. Like you still don't want methane and all this other carbon dioxide and all these other things just thrown up into the atmosphere because it's still bad. Regardless of the catastrophization that's been happening for the last couple of decades, you don't want that. So the cool thing about Great American Mining and what we're doing is we're taking that natural gas instead of just burning it, which at best has a combustion rate of like 92 percent. Um, it gets down. It can get down to like 60 percent, depending on the winds, like out in North Dakota, like they'll have sustained, consistent winds all day of like 50 miles an hour. Combustion, combustion rate isn't going to be that efficient at that point. Um, so what we're doing is we're taking that associated natural gas, instead of burning it, we're pumping it through a, um, an internal combustion engine generator. And that generator has an induction motor in it, which the generator is powering an induction motor. It spins and it produces electricity. So we're taking that electricity and we're mining Bitcoin off of it. And we're allowing these producers... Um, they can they can either take a share of that Bitcoin. They can either take that Bitcoin and sell it if they want, which allows them to immediately monetize that that gas that was originally being burned into nothing. Like they were literally making they weren't making money off of it, 
or they can take it, run it through our system and actually earn money for that gas, which let me tell you is radically an improvement compared to what they were doing before. But at the same time, because it's running through an internal combustion engine and that combustion rate is 98%, we're also reducing the greenhouse gas emissions. And one of the things that I'm, I'm working on quite a few essays that we're going to be pumping out through our website for Great American Mining here soon. Um, one of the big things about that, like why that's so revolutionary, is that one of the like the thing that's holding back the oil and gas companies from pumping oil, aside from the ignorance on the public side and the politician side, the biggest thing that's holding them back, there's they're not capped by oil production, they're capped by greenhouse gas emissions. So if we're reducing the amount of greenhouse gas emissions that they're like that they're like pushing out, then they can effectively increase their oil production output. And they're making money off the Bitcoin that they're mining with the emissions, and they can make their money off the oil production. Like you can't like there's 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 no there's no losing there. And then everybody benefits because like one of the biggest things for for pricing of anything of any good good or service is the cost of energy it takes to produce the good or service. specifically the good because most services are based off goods um so just by like chopping each line down the block you know like down that that process we can incentivize greater oil production and generation you flood the market with oil oil price comes down cost of goods can eventually go down because one of the other things that people don't understand with the oil situation right now is when cost of oil is super cheap Without Bitcoin being involved, when cost of oil is super cheap and the barrel of oil is cheap, these companies aren't incentivized to try and increase output. Right. Like there, there's just no economic incentive. So right now, it's getting to the point of where they're starting to get incentivized. But here in America, because we've got an administration that is trying to blame the oil and gas companies, claiming that they're extorting the market, which they're not, Like it's just... Bitcoin is basically the solution that everybody's looking for, but nobody wants to nobody wants to talk about it. Well, I mean, that's that, that's the FUD, you know, that we get daily being in the Bitcoin space is that, you know, <laughs> yeah. this is definitely, you know, once again, we're in an information war. And what you just said, as far as being a solution, it scares crap out of the people that are trying to, you know, really promote the climate change narrative across the world. You know, the, the, it, once again, the, the solution is so simple, it's complicated. And that's where it's going to get very um, important that what – what you and I are talking about today starts being spread out to everybody that has any type of access to be able to utilize like what Great American Mining is doing. You know, the whole ethos of Great American Mining. Well, coming, you know, from the ranching perspective of things, there's a lot of ranchers out there that have old gas wells. You know, you have yeah. people in the Bitcoin space. You know, you look at Marty up in Tennessee, what they're doing up in Tennessee. You know, they're, they're basically, you know, instead of blow off now, they're mining Bitcoin off of natural gas, you know, just kind of like what you said. But they're also... Yep. They're also growing soil because they have the land tools, they have cattle. So you have this energy well, uh, will that I talk about, and it just feeds off itself. 
and you know, yep. and you can mine the Bitcoin in ranchers. That's what I'm really like the Colorado conference that's happening this week, you know, on Friday, starting kicking it off on Friday in Colorado. I wish I could be there. I know, man. It's, it's going to be, I, I'm excited for this one. It's, but we are going to go ahead. We're going to have audio, video. We're going to capture everything. We're going to create a there content library so people will be able to see it, you know, in time, you know, when we cut it up. But what we're really doing in the Beef Initiative is we want the ranchers in the ranching community across and the agricultural community across the United States to understand that mining is a solution to fight what's going on. And just think if they were able to, you know, look at the state of Texas. In the Permian Basin alone, we have enough oil for over two to 400 years to supply the United States of America without question. We're not, there's no oil shortage and the amount of natural gas that, that basically you can look at is pretty much in state of Texas. You want to talk about natural gas? I grew up smelling sulfur. You know, it's everywhere. You know, at certain places you go in Texas, it's just natural gas. And that's because of blow off. That's because of it's wasted. And there's so yep. much leverage but required to be able to leverage everything as far as what you're working on, what great American mining is, we got to bring the education. And that's yep. you know, what, what we're, we're ramping it up. We're even going to have a mining educational series within the initiative. Right now, we're just doing, you know, the why of Bitcoin and helping the ranchers yeah. understand the why of Bitcoin and how to get to self-custody, basically. We're going to do homeschooling and we're going to do mining. Those are the next three things that we're going to do. We're working with different companies like Foundation Devices. We're going to work with IBEX. And we're going to get, you know, a lot of people, and maybe you and I can kind of collaborate on the education about mining so we can oh, start getting so we can start getting out there because more and more people are starting to listen to these podcasts and they're starting to say oh i see why they're talking about mining and you know you put very well and once it gets out there we're going to see a shift as yep. they do a shift we're going to do a shift and we're going to leverage as much as we can so um you know that that was a good explanation and and people need to look at mining as something that if you can't do it, you need to understand it at least. Yeah. So you can actually help fight for the, the reason and the, and the narrative behind it, the ethos behind why mining is good for farmers, ranchers, for United States, for oil production, anything that we can leverage from nuclear to oil to gas, whatever it is, we have to get louder about this because once yeah. again, it's the solution. And they're well, going to and, and what, yeah, and one, like one of the big things that you and I were really riffing about, um, particularly at the beginning of the year, was uh, for, the, for the financial well-being of the farmers, yeah. um, particularly with Bitcoin. Like, mm -hmm. they, they, they don't have to mine. Like, if they, if they don't have a setup for mining, they, they, that's fine. But they need to understand Bitcoin because if our farmers are the ones that get taken advantage of most, which they are, if, mm -hmm. but if they get if they get pushed even farther, like if we start seeing something close to the seventies, where like I think it was his name Earl Butts, like yeah. he tried to he tried to push he pushed the whole go big or go home mm -hmm. situation. Um, if it gets to the point of where our farmers are are economically pressured, financially pressured, which they they are because some of, like most of them, from my understanding, are swimming in debt. Um, most Americans don't understand that there is a possibility or like there is a strategy for a centralized government and banking system to utilize what's called a bail-in, yeah. which is what happened with Cyprus back in like 2011, I think, where they're 
like their debt, their like they could no longer facilitate their debt burden, and they took money from their citizens. Like as long as you had X amount in your bank account, they took like seventy five percent from you. Yeah. Like, and if if our if they do that to our farmers, like that is that dude. Like I would yeah. like, I like I would much rather if that situation happened that like our like if every one of our farmers had like one to ten percent like of their wealth in Bitcoin so that that couldn't happen to them. Mm-hmm. That's, that would be phenomenal because like, regardless of the amount of debt that like, whether they need debt to facilitate like the, the, the equipment for, for their livelihood or anything, if they don't have enough funds to at least feed their families, that's, that's the problem. Like that is yeah. the problem. Like if we can't keep our farmers going, because like out here in Iowa, it's not the, like, it's not necessarily that a lot of these guys are making these men and women are making a ton of money they love it. Like they, they have a huge point of pride in like providing the, the food for not only the country, but for the world, because like Iowa corn goes international, like it helps a lot, but at the same time it is being like co-opted to field the ethanol situation, which is really more of a problem than a solution, but they still feel pride because they under, they feel like they're, they're feeding the, the world. So, I mean, like Bitcoin is more important than than everybody wants to wants to give yeah. it its time and credit for. Well, in 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 that the the awareness of all the importance of Bitcoin and in the clarity of it all, you know, it takes time. It it is that education, but you know, it, yeah. it it basically is driven by one thing more than anything: suffering. Only time yeah. that change change really happens is suffering, and we're about to go through some suffering. And and I always say this: it's my little moniker is like you better be prepared to engineer some your own suffering before the suffering gets engineered upon you. And that goes against you know that goes with the ranchers, the farmers, us as individuals, us trying to help them out. Every individual, you know, because within great suffering, you know, you receive joy and kind if you do it right. But going back to what you said about uh, Errol Butt. Let's look at what happened in the 70s. Okay, we had basically monocropping. Go fence to fence or you're out of business. That's what happened. Okay, what happened in the 80s? Well, we had farm aid. Guess what? All the all the farmers got bankrupted. They had to they had to auction off their land and their equipment. Okay, well, what happened yep. in the 90s? Oh, well, we had NAFTA. Okay, well, what happened after NAFTA? Well, in the year 2000 and 2010, we had major food and chemical corporations that put even more of a debt squeeze on the farmers and ranchers and the landowners in the United States. 2010 to 2020, massive consolidation where we are right now. There's been a sequence of events that's happened every decade, and they didn't do it just because they wanted to, and then it, that it's kind of, you know, helping the world feed the world. Guess what? We never did feed the world <laughs> and we still haven't feed the, fed the world. How you feed the world is teaching a community how to feed itself. That's it. That's yeah. as simple as that. And once people can lose that, anybody that comes up to me and, you know, they're talking to me because I get this all a lot. It's like, well, well, we got to feed all the world. We got to feed everybody. And the farmers and ranchers were told that in the 70s. And, and basically what it came to is that they got leveraged in massive debt and they either lost their land or they're so leveraged in debt now that they can't say much about it. They're under, yep. you know, so many different rules and regulations. The regulatory capture that has happened since the 70s, because we were going to feed the world. Well, you know, there's still people starving and there's still going to be people starving. Some of the most, some of the, some of the, the most, um, some of 
the third world countries that we look at that we feel sorry for, they have better nutritional value than we do because they know how to feed themselves and they do it from a local and a community standpoint. And if we can kind of start thinking like that, it's like you need to be consuming, like you, like you said before, the allergies and everything. People don't understand the importance of basically eating the food that was basically raised on the soil and what you stand on. And, yeah. you know, and that's just a good perspective to have. And everybody has to engineer their market access from there, you know, and that's, that's, that's where the individual comes in. That's where the Bitcoin mindset comes in saying decentralization, ethos, open source, you know, communication, sound money, sound health, sound communications for a sound future. Yeah. And, and you mentioned how over the next couple of years, you, you're going to like, people are going to need to engineer their own suffering to, you know, better be prepared for it. Um, one of the reasons I keep talking about these essays, these blog posts that we're going to be pushing out through GAM, um, I keep talking about it, but it takes a while to produce these because I am having to like do the research myself, but then also obviously confirm it and then like structure it so that it's like, it's easily legible and you can follow like the whole process. Right. Um, one of the, like, I've been, you and I have been saying specifically for the last couple of months, including with our buddy Magoo on Twitter, um, for quite a while now that like things are going to get worse for a couple years before they get yes. better. Because one of the, like the big one that I went on that little mini tangent on here for was around like the importance of oil. Um, you don't just, you don't just tap a well and start, you know, printing oil. Like it's, it's not like flicking on the light switch in your apartment or in your house. Like, right. because if, if, if it's using the wells that already exist, then you have to go through all the environmental regulations. Like you have to tear them down. Um, and we've seen how slow politicians operate. Like they're basically useless. Um, and then, so if, if we can't rely on the regulatory process to actually do what's, what's needed to be done, then you kind of look at uh, the tapping and exploration of new wells. That takes even longer. Like that's, that can go, uh, so on, on, on shale oil, like shale deposits here, like in the U.S., like you can go a little bit faster from what I've been reading. Um, but the, the conventional oil well can take anywhere from five and a half to 13 years to the point of getting to production. And it can take anywhere, like once it gets to the point of production, it can take anywhere from what I've seen, like three years to 30 years, depending on the well. Um, and that's not including the process before you even get to identifying a location for a well. You also have to do the, the seismology and topography to understand like where the good spots are. And that alone can take over a year in itself. Yeah. And there's massive capital injection necessary across the board for all of this. So if, if our world leaders don't do the smart thing and basically throw a lot of the environmental regulations out the window to get oil production ramped up to alleviate this problem, we're looking at a, I've been telling people a minimum of two to three years of significant difficulty before we start climbing out of this. And that, and that still requires like our world leaders to actually, you know, wake the hell up. Yeah. 
Well, and right now they're not going to. I mean, a lot of the worlders, no. I mean, we're having a shake up, you know, people, prime ministers are resigning, you know, they're just getting installed. People get installed different, you know, they're, like I say, the contracts are signed here. You know, the fertilizer shortage, you know, that, that, that was, you and I were, I was talking about this last year at this time. So it's been a year and it's like, yeah. okay, the 2022 is going to be kind of scary. And, you know, and, and we're not doomers and we're not conspiratorial, anything like that. We're actually pretty based in, you know, researchers and our analysis are usually pretty spot on within, you know, a high percentage of reason, you know, of, of probability. What people need to understand is that it is going to get difficult. I was a child of the 70s and I saw gas lines. I saw the food shift that happened. I saw, you know, divorce rates go up. There was crime. Yeah. Times Square in New York City was a, a, a shithole. Things happen. Crime raises, mental illness raises, addictions raise. This is something that we're about to step into. And if you're not emotionally matured enough to understand, and if you, 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 you're refusing to accept that there's actually change coming, then you're going to be trapped in certain ways. And, you know, I tell yeah. people right now, you know, I get on these spaces, I get on podcasts, and it looks like I'm shilling, you know, selling beef through the Beef Initiative. Well, of course we are, but we don't make a lot of money on beef. To be, for everybody out there, there's not a big profit margin on beef, especially no. right now whenever we're trying to undercut the supermarkets and the globalist meat industry. People need to understand that I'm not shilling beef. I'm shilling the lifestyle change that you need to pay attention to. And that's what yep. you're doing, and that's what we're trying to do in the Bitcoin space. And you, if we don't start bringing energy and food and making them symbiotic with all the conversations that we have with Bitcoin, Bitcoin don't matter. And that's what people don't understand yet. A lot of people yeah. do, of course. And you know, mass credit to everybody out there that's far smarter than I am in the jobs that they're doing across the board. Because, you know, even in food intelligence, I started that narrative the way I did. But, I mean, like you, you know so much more about minerals and nutrients and health than I do. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm just a guy that grew up with eating beef out of a freezer because, you know. But just to be fair, I'm not a nutritionist either. So let's just. Well, you're not. But disclaimer. You have, yeah, yeah. But you're, you're pretty damn smart with your nutrition and you're far <laughs> and well read than I am and so you know what I my perspective is that I keep it simple in my own mind I said I'm just going to get the best beef I can find and I'm going to eat it and I'm going to eat a lot of it and that's how I look at it and it's done me good and you know I'm going to do you know I'm going to make some announcements and said let's get to the Colorado conference we're running about an hour and 20 right now let's get to okay. the Colorado conference these conferences are about education they're about a lifestyle change they're about basically doing a vertical integration back into human health starting with the regenerative mindset and the decentralized mindset and you know they're a different type of conference you know we made this one you know jason rick of rick ranches in crawford colorado hell of a rancher man and he's hosting this and he is phenomenal as far as understanding bitcoin and understanding how he leverages it and how he's leveraging it to where he is thriving right now in the ranching industry it's not saying that he's getting rich but he has a roadmap now that he has a lot of confidence in 
his input his input costs are low. He's regenerative. He's leveraging Bitcoin in, in a way that is helping him. So these conferences are like that. We're bringing a lot of good speakers in. Go to beefinitiative.com. Go look at our conference. You can still get tickets. I have to say that because you need to get to this conference. Just say, just go ahead and don't be afraid to FOMO in here because it's going to be worth it. And, uh, but we're going to have other conferences. We're going to have a conference in, in Georgia in September. I'll be announcing that uh, this coming week. And that one's be exciting. We're going to basically that's going to be a food intelligence summit and we're putting all the dialogue together on that but each one of these conferences we're going to be talking about food we're going to be talking about mining energy we're going to talk about homeschooling everything that a bitcoiner needs to be paying attention to we're going to try to provide the solution for them so you know nice. on that on that on that note though what is your path forward from here on out what what does your year look like now as far as, you know, great American mining, y'all have some good plans moving forward. You guys get yeah. kind of knocked around a little bit. What's going on? No, so, um, surprisingly, we're not getting knocked around too bad. Um, the, the guys, the guys that, are, that are heading, like actually steering the ship, uh, they are <laughs> much more forward looking than I would have expected, like on the outside before I got inside and like started actually like communicating with the team and everything. Um, so, I'm not worried as far as like the health of the company goes. We're doing a lot of like our own stuff as far as uh, like management of the mining operations and stuff like that. So that'll be exciting once it gets to the point of uh, whenever we do want to spill the beans, doing a lot of kind of just um, pruning and just uh, like, what would you say? We're fine tuning a lot of the processes that we're doing right now um, just to make things easier in the future. And then, on top of that, obviously there's the, there's the essays and the blog posts to look forward to. Um, but basically we're, it's just, it's, there's just a lot of like bear market activity that we're doing uh, a lot of cleaning up and just, um, right. leveraging what we're already good at to make sure that we can explode for the next like bull market when it does come on the other side of all this difficulty, because it will happen. It's not like we, like, like you talked about how, uh, we're not, we're not doomers, like we're not doomers in the sense of like you and I, what we talk about, we're not like, none of this is going to continue into perpetuity, but in order for us to like have the solution to get to the solutions that we talk about, we have to talk about this stuff. Um, so as far as the, the company goes, like, it's just, we're just looking to expand more. Like that, that's, yeah. that's the big roadmap for us. We're looking to expand more. We're looking to talk to more uh, energy producers, um, that's, I mean, that's basically it. We're just keeping it simple. Like, keep it simple, stupid. We're just trying to be the best of the best of what we do, essentially. So, I, I'm I'm super excited for it. Um, anybody that wants to like get curious, uh, the website would be gam.ai. So G-A-M period A-I, and then uh, the the Twitter handle if you guys want to follow along um, is you literally just spell out gam.ai. So it's G-A-M D-O-T A-I. And that's the Twitter handle. Slim, did we lose you? Okay, we're back. <laughs> right. right at the end. Yeah, it's perfect, right? So <laughs> I, I could hear you start going echo, echo, echo. I was like, all right, here goes the internet again. So grab my phone. Here we go. Um, great cast, Mike. Thanks, everybody, for sticking with us today. 
Um, everybody, let's pay attention to energy. Let's pay attention to everything that we're talking about this food intelligence, mining. Let's all start having these conversations. Mike, man, I always appreciate you coming on the show. Let's keep the conversation going. We've got some good history of uh, kind of helping out some people with the narratives and with the education. So keep on yep. doing what you're doing and uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. Take care. Awesome, man. Thank you. This is a lot of fun. We'll do it again soon. Good cast, man. I appreciate you. Take care. Here at the Beef Initiative, we encourage all you ranchers out there to tell us who and where you are so we can let everybody know they're looking for you. This time I'm shouting out KNC Cattle out of Austin, Texas. KNCCattle.com. Cole, he's a fourth generational Texas rancher. He knows what he's doing.